It's a wonderful thing to be able to discuss the Word of the Lord together. And today we are going to continue with our teaching that, um, that particularly at this point has to do with the Spirit empowering languages that are unknown to us in the natural. And during our first session, <coughs> we discussed the phenomenon that is known as unknown tongues and how that the Heavenly Father gave that gift to the church on the day of Pentecost, which was really the birthday of the church. And just as a, um, a reminder of what we shared last time from the scripture, that is um, the, the, the synopsis of the benefits of speaking in unknown tongues, I've listed here uh, several subpoints, and let's just quickly go through them as a, as a reminder to us. When we speak in unknown tongues through the power of the Spirit, we are fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. This is also, as we just stated, a gift and empowerment that was given at the birth of the church at Pentecost, also known as the, the gift of the Father or the promise of the Father. It is the Spirit of God within us that is the wellspring of speaking in unknown tongues. This is communication through and directly to God. As we speak to Him, we are speaking the mysteries of God or the mysterion of God. And that those are the segments of how God is revealing His overall plan in His partnership with intercessors, which is what God wants. God has always searched for an intercessor and everything really does begin with a voice of partnership with God. Uh, when we speak in unknown tongues we should also strive to interpret. This is not translate, this is interpret. And interpret there is the Greek term hermeneia which is something that is studied in seminaries particularly as to how to study and then present a preaching or a teaching. And um, so the essence of when we speak to God, we speak regarding His mysteries, the Spirit wants us to be aware of things that we are learning through that encounter. And it, you know, I was thinking of this the other day. When you enroll in a class and you sit in a class, as you're in one session, that doesn't mean that you understand the whole class. Yet you don't understand the whole syllabus. You understand what is being said in that session. And sometimes people grapple with this idea of speaking the mysteries of God. How can it be segmented? How can you get a piece here? But God is always that way. I mean, he, we are hungry and we're full. We, we have completed what we need to be ministering with Him, but there's always more. And that is, that is the essence of how the Spirit interprets these mysteries. He builds upon, never contradicts. It's always aligned with the Scripture. And that's how we're guided into all truth, by the Spirit. Um, and through interpretation, the line upon line of spiritual understanding is established. 
And in Isaiah 28, when it spoke about line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, it was in conjunction with the prophecy about stammering lips and an unknown tongue. Um, this understanding is gleaned in conjunction with partnering with God through spirit-filled intercession concerning the progression of His eternal purpose for the world. This, etern this intercessory partnership expresses the eternal purpose of the person as it also serves the eternal progression of the will of God. Now what does that mean? We talked about it last time. The spirit within is what the scripture says speaks when we speak in unknown tongues. That is the wellspring of the divine entity within you. So when you are praying with that capacity, it really is utilizing what God has placed within you. And it is, it is, it is revealing your eternal <clears throat> identity in God. And um, this, is, this is fueled by agape. And the agape of passionate devotion to the will of God is essential to this gift. It also provides a necessary and unifying measure of service with the holy angels of God. Now, the, the beauty of this is, and, and we've said this over and over again, our topic today is diversities of tongues. But unknown tongues really is God's gift to the individual so that we would partner with Him, that we would know Him, that we would fulfill what it is that He wants from us. It is, it is endemic to God's plan for the individual. And I, I firmly state that when we speak in, in unknown tongues, we are building up our most holy faith, according to Jude 20. Uh, we are building up, according to the architectural plan, what God has wanted for us. And, and so it is a very personal exchange before God. It is the invitation into the partnering and the training for serving as God's governmental influence on this earth. Because it's just like in anything else. If you aren't personally prepared, if you've not showed yourself to be uh, reliable and faithful, if you've not been paying attention and yielding yourself to God, how can you ever think that God would entrust you to do anything of note for Him. I mean, we wouldn't do that in the natural. You know, if you owned a bank or some kind of a, of a corporation, you wouldn't say, well, you know, this guy here, you know, he's worked for me for a few years, or this woman has worked for me, but, you know, they've never really shown themselves to have any interest in the, in the company at all. They, they really don't know what they're doing from week to week. But I think because, you know, they're in the company, I'm just going to give them charge of the, of the enterprise. I mean, who would do that? But yet we think that God would do that. And God's a whole lot smarter than we are. Now, none of us are worthy. You know, we, we don't do anything to merit. But what God looks at is our availability, our faithfulness, our yieldedness to Him, our humility. And when we sow ourselves in that pathway, God trains us. It's the journey with God. He is developing us. He's not just looking at a task. If it was just tasks, he could do it like that or quicker than that on his own. But he wants us to be um, continually learning, continually uh, being given uh, more. To whom much is given, much is required. 
God looks at that faithfulness. And um, that, is, that is really what he's doing in the entirety of our Christian walk, but it is the essence of what speaking in tongues does, scripturally. So I, I reiterate again the belief from these things uh, that we've just talked about, that speaking in unknown tongues, glossa lelia, which is, is for the purpose of putting us in commune with God, putting us in the pathway of partnering with Him, putting us in the pathway of utilizing what He's created us to be as individuals, and, and it really is that communications gift that helps to develop the person in the plan and in the pathway of God. And we don't often think of that. <clears throat> I, I didn't really hear it expressed that way when I was growing up. Uh, and, and honestly, in all the teaching and all the preaching and all, even all the instruction that I learned over the years in a Pentecostal environment, it was, even though we acted like we understood everything, people would say inane and ridiculous things about speaking in tongues. Well, God really hasn't been listening to my prayers. Ah, so I'll pray in the Spirit, and I'll pray the exact prayer that will unlock the door of what I want. We've, not say we, but we've heard that, and we've, we've even taught things similar to that. Some people would say, well, you know, I was at the mall and I was driving around. I couldn't find a parking spot. You know that Christmas traffic. So I prayed in the Spirit and God opened up a parking spot for me. Glory to His name. Do you think that the Holy Ghost was given back in the days of chariots so that you could find a parking spot? I don't think so. So the, the, the whole idea of this understanding, even even the spirit within being the one that speaks. I mean, I sat through the, the tarrying teachings. I sat through the issues when I was, as, as an 11-year-old kid, wanting to speak in tongues. And, and I, I heard all the teachings. And, uh, you know, I thought that somehow the spirit was going to come on me and make me do something that I really wasn't doing. And, you know what, I know there are overwhelming encounters that some people have, but the majority of people, when they speak in tongues, they just begin to speak. And I remember teaching people how to minister in the line when you're laying hands on people. And how many times have you heard this? It's not you speaking, it's the Spirit. Don't try to figure it out with your mind. Ah, da, 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 da. We would say those things. But people just had this viewpoint that, you know, if, if they did anything within this frame of who, who they are as a person, that somehow they were in the flesh and that God wouldn't be glorified. And we've grappled with these things. And, and when we grapple with them as Pentecostal people or as people in the church that are wanting this gift, we're missing the point. I mean, if you think this is some experience or if you think this is some add-on, you're missing the point when you recognize that it is from the Spirit of God that within you, which is born again when you're saved. That's what's born again in spirit and in truth. In spirit, yes, what God has ordained you to be from the foundation of the world only through Christ comes alive. And then in truth, you are on a journey with Him to partner with Him in uncovering those things that have been hidden 
until the time that God says it's time to reveal this, in spirit and in truth. The Spirit guides the sons into all truth. And it's an ongoing reality. The day we say we know it all or we have it all is the day we die. There is always going to be more in God. Even when we are in heaven, we're going to learn more and more of Him. We're going to learn more and more of His plan. And we might as well get that in our heads. I mean, I remember when I was filled with the Spirit at, at just turned 13. Wow, I was an old man. And, uh, you know, we have it. That's it. You know, we have it. Uh, I've got it now. I'm spirit-filled. And that's what I thought. That's what we were taught. And little did I realize that it was a beginning when I received that and functioned in that way. It was in no way an ending. It was the end of the beginning, but it was in no way the ending. Um, the beginning was now initiated. But then I wasn't really taught as to what to do to, um, to use it. In the framework of most Pentecostal churches at that time, you prayed in the Spirit for two major occasions. One, if you didn't, if you really thought you needed that burst of, a, of spiritual adrenaline to get God to do what your earthly prayers weren't doing, you prayed that way, or if you were so inclined, at the end of a pastor's sermon, you could stand up and release a bevy of unknown tongues that would then tell everybody in interpretation, I'm coming soon, get ready, stop doing what you did last night, or those kinds of things. None of those experiences are really having been raised in it, grown up in it, ministered in it, none of those things in themselves fulfill what the Scripture really says unknown tongues is for. And I'm speaking scripturally here. I'm not saying, you know, we, we were hanging around praying together and this angel came and told us this or we went outside the back parking lot and we found a, a parking stop that had scribbled on it this stuff and we've taken it in and made an altar of it and this is what... No, these things are scripture if you care to see them. So the church must never forbid speaking with unknown tongues. Instead, the church must insist upon its use in conjunction with prophetically gleaning and stating the understanding of what the Spirit reveals during Spirit-filled intercessory exchanges between God and His people. Now, it's obvious that when I wrote that last paragraph, I was tired. I got too tired to... To, to put it into proper sentences. <laughs> it kind of just spilled on, kind of like a lot of my sermons. <clears throat> but the point is, is that this is a reiterating of what we put forward during our first session, the, the previous session to this. And so it's important to recognize that this glossolalia was what was given to the people. Now, again, as we studied last week, um, there were people from all points of the known word, world on the day of Pentecost that heard individuals who received this gift speaking in their languages, talking about the megas power of God or what God was wanting to do in their lands. That is the term that was used that described what these people were hearing. It wasn't just saying, oh, how good God is. Oh, how wonderful God is. It would, they, they were hearing in their languages what God wanted to do in their lands. 
And that, that's significant because God was expecting them to go back to their lands and continue to minister in those tongues concerning what he wanted to do in their particular terio, their particular histemic. Now, um, there were some, and I understand how this could be, who felt that as they studied this, that this meant that you could go into India or you could go into Africa and you could just stand up at a podium and speak in tongues and all those people would understand what they said. There were individuals during Parham's ministry, during Fox's ministry, during Seymour's ministry who thought this and went out and tried it and it didn't work. There have been times where we've been in a foreign land and when we've been speaking in tongues, there were individuals who, who could hear languages we were speaking and it said things to them. That phenomenon still happens, but it is not the framework of how God wants to preach the gospel to uh, crowds of people. God can do that, but it is not the framework that he wants to use. What he wants is in every land, in every group, people to understand the concepts of the word, put them into practice, and then see what God will do through them in their land. That's what God wants. So this is the understanding of unknown tongues. It is a personal experience before God. It is largely um, that a tool that God uses in developing you in His service to Him. God's Spirit within you that He put in you. It's the same Spirit as within within each of us, but it is different for each of us. Only God could do that. And so the way God uses my brother is different than the way he uses me, even though it's similar. And so this is what God does. So we come to our topic for today, and that is diversities of tongues. Paul, the apostle, wrote to the Corinthian church, and these folks were Pentecostal. In fact, these folks were so Pentecostal that they, um, they probably <coughs> over, uh, how can you overuse tongues? They, they utilized tongues to such a degree that it became almost a competition And you can see that when Paul wrote, he says, I'm telling you how tongues are supposed to be used. And I I speak in tongues more than any of you, but here is the way it's used in the church. Here is what it's really meant to do. And so thankfully the Corinthian church was the way they were because um, Paul's writing to them as a measure of correction and instruction has benefited us today in great, great ways. But to the Corinthian church, Paul not only spoke about how unknown tongues was to be utilized, but he he interjected through the anointing of the Spirit a grace gift to Pentecostal people that was known as and is known as diversities of tongues. Two different words in the New Testament, in the original language. 
glossa lalia is unknown tongues. Diversities of tongues is genos lalia. Two different terms. So, uh, I, I want us to just talk, first of all, from Ephesians 4 about um, the fivefold giftings. Because we have, to, we have to have a grasp of that before we can really explain how diversities of tongues fits into that framework. So Ephesians 4 says, verse 11, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all come in unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of man, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. That is a mouthful. I mean, it is, how many themes does Paul talk about there? But essentially, he talks about this fivefold framework, which apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And he talks about this uh, with the underlying understanding that the idea of five throughout the Old Testament speaks about how God thinks. His proclamations were fivefold. Uh, you, you see those proclamations to Adam, to Noah, and many other places in the Word. It's, it's how God thinks. And essentially it's this. I have, it's, I'm not speaking for God, but this is what God would say. I have a thing that I am wanting to do now. And so I am going to um, bring a measure of understanding. Uh, I'm going to bring a, a progressing understanding of, of uh, the structure of what I'm going to do. I'm going to have it proclaimed and put forward. I'm going to have uh, a, a breaking, through, breaking through moments, and I'm going to anoint people to help do that. And then I'm going to establish that thing. And as I establish that thing, I'm going to have uh, a, a carefully structured base where someone will be in authority, supervising uh, the structure of authority. All of those points of that structure are going to be functioning. And, um, uh, and essentially, uh, it's going to be under the direction of the Spirit. That's what these fivefold things are. And um, so an apostle is not just somebody who has nice hair and a big anointing. An evangelist is not somebody that can come in and stir up people. Man, that was good. We've got, I've got seven stem winders, and I can use them all over the place. Um, the pastor is not just to step and fetch it for people. Um, the teacher is not somebody that stands up as a know-it-all or somebody that knows most of it and can just instruct. 
And uh, the prophet is not some wild-haired person that sits in the back of the church that the pastor has to control or nobody understands and I'm rejected so I'm just going to go off and have my own thing and, and I'm, I'm sideways and I'm sideways bitter some days and um, I'm inspired by that bitterness in other ways. That's the way fivefold offices have been denigrated. In fact, when I was in school, when I was in Bible college, um, we were told very clearly and consistently that there are no more apostles and that um, the closest thing we have to an apostle nowadays is a missionary. And prophets, eh, you know, we, we don't, we don't want to, we, we, we're not saying there aren't any of those, but if there are uh, prophets, they just talk about the second coming. And, and so that was the viewpoint. But, and, and the way you could say it was twofold. You would yank a scripture out that said, uh, once the word of God came uh, through, I guess, Luther, uh, the perfect had come. And secondly, um, if, if, you, if you have not seen Jesus in the flesh, then you can't be an apostle. Um, and, and so those were the mainstays that just kind of destroyed any kind of belief that these, these capacities of the Lord were functioning today. Um, but I'm grateful that God is awakening the, um, the, these five-fold offices because they're not just standalone offices. They should be the way the church functions on behalf of the new things God is doing. And they should work cohesively together because it is, it is what God regularly did through the Old Testament when He wanted to empower somebody to represent Him in, in a new way or in, a, uh, in an advanced way. And so this, uh, I don't think anybody could say that we have come into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't think anybody can say that we are, are perfect. I don't think anybody can say that we are moving in the unity of faith. I mean, none of these things are really happening in honesty right now. So with that, we strive toward that, but until we can say, yeah, we're in heaven, these things are all here, we're on earth going to see this segmented measure of the fivefold. So why did we have to speak of that before we talked about diversities of tongues? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, it says this, God has set some in the church, First, apostles, okay, we, we see that in Ephesians. Secondly, prophets, okay, we see that in Ephesians. Thirdly, teachers, we see that in Ephesians. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governance, diversities of tongues. Hmm, wow. Now, why is that significant? Well, Again, this is a study that we will do later when we dig deeper into the fivefold offices. But the way God wants to move through the two missing specified offices or mindsets, uh, which are the evangelist and the pastor, is that the evangelist should be someone who is moving in 
welcoming the, the dunamis of God and bringing about those grace remedies that will help, um, help the church or the, uh, the, the region or the nations to enter into the next thing God is wanting. The other three very clearly fall into that pastoral base. So in every church, people should be functioning on behalf of um, their, the giftings God has given them. That's governments. And it should be a structure. It shouldn't be the Wild West where everybody's just doing whatever they want to do. It's a structure where everybody is functioning. And um, it's, not, it's not the pastor's job to make you function or to put you in a position uh, for your function. You function. God will, God will cause you to function whether the pastor notices you or not. God will cause you to function. And, and that's really the essence. It's not about what people think. It's about what God thinks. It's not about whether the Aunt Nellie in the back row really thinks you're great and will tell everybody. It's God's... Oh, I should have said Aunt Tammy in the back row. Um, but, you know, the, the point is that, um, that we should be functioning in governmental um, ways. And that is us just fulfilling what we're supposed to be and finding, finding our place of service. Um, that pastoral's gift should also have helps. That's the changing of hands. That's being sensitive to what God is doing as He turns or as He says, okay, I'm moving from the right hand now to the fulfillment of the left hand. Or now I'm translating from that point where the left hand has brought you into the prophetic grasp as to what we're doing next. So that should be happening. But then you have diversities of tongues. This odd phrase, diversities of tongues. How in the world does that fit in the, in the fivefold? How does that fit in the church? It's not, why didn't the Spirit through Paul say glossolalia here? Because Paul continues uh, also in the context of that 12th chapter where he very clearly, and you can read this beginning at verses 4 through 11, he very clearly says that there are diversities, diuresis of gifts, charisma, but the same Spirit. Charisma is the application of charis or grace. So in any measure where he's talking about the Spirit and the Spirit gifts, he's talking about grace gifts here. And then you see, to one by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to one by the Spirit the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit. Faith by the same Spirit, gifts of healing by the same Spirit, working of miracles, uh, prophecy, discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, this genos lalia, uh, to another interpretation of tongues. All these works, this, that one in the same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now we know that in the general church there is knowledge. We know that in the general church there is faith. We know that in the general church there is prophecy, or should be. We know that in the general church there is 
Um, there are gifts of healings. Uh, you know, all of these things are already existing in the general church. But when the Spirit comes in grace, and He says, according to the laws of grace, from the throne of grace, I'm going to do a new thing. From this base of where you are, I want to move into a new horizon. I want to grow into a new development. Not according to what mankind is doing. Not according to the, the, the peer pressure or this is the in thing right now. What I'm wanting to do, I want to move upward. Will you embrace this with me? Will you give all that you are so that you can move forward in grace? That's what grace is. That's what grace is. It is the partnership with God to accomplish something through your yieldedness and your supplication, something that God has not revealed yet on earth or in a way that God has not revealed it yet on earth. That's what grace is. So these specific gifts of the Spirit are grace gifts, and among them is diversities of tongues. This should be a part of every church. But sadly, over the centuries, I would say the enemy and sometimes just the carnality of men and women, I wouldn't say that a good portion of churches speak in tongues. And I would also say then that a good portion of those churches, whether they speak in tongues or not, do not speak in diversities of tongues. That's a shame, but that should not keep us from functioning in the fullness of the Spirit. So, let's talk in a practical way now. Um, the, there's nothing more practical than the Bible. But to me, we had to establish this is in Scripture it is different from the, the general church understanding of, of the Bible. It is different from the general church understanding of unknown tongues. Grace gifts come upon people that are willing to move in grace. And we need that to keep inventively, creatively moving forward in God, in the things of the Spirit. Now, we in this church, the Father's Church in Dallas, were functioning as a, as a Pentecostal church. We believe very fully in the purity, the inspiration, and the inerrancy of the Scripture. We believe that there was a subsequent gift and experience in God to the born-again experience, and that is speaking in unknown tongues. We believed that. We practiced that. And we were very happy with that. Even though we didn't really, and I can speak as the pastor here, uh, we really didn't understand a lot of these scriptural concepts at that time. We still spoke in tongues. And that was a wonderful thing. And then God began to urge us to seek Him for more of, of Him. And it, it really, over the course of many months, was a pronounced invitation and a pronounced hunger for more of God. And for me as the pastor, 
I didn't really understand what that meant. In my understanding, I was interpreting that this hunger within me, perhaps God was going to do something really nice for our church. Maybe there was going to be a revival. Maybe there was going to be an influx of people who were being born again. Maybe God was going to give us, um, and this is what any pastor would think, Maybe God is going to really spark a growth in our youth group or cause us to be able to reach the neighborhood in a, in a bigger way. Th these are the tangible things that a normal pastor would think. And, and I wasn't getting up telling the congregation, listen, we've got to fast and pray and God's going to give us, let's put up on the, uh, behind the pulpit, we're, we're seeking for 2,000 people. Let's put that up there. That'll be our goal. And we're going to believe God to do that. None of that, because I didn't really know what this, this, this feeling meant. It was uncomfortable, which is what hunger is. Any hunger is uncomfortable. I don't know anybody that really cherishes hunger. I mean, it's uncomfortable. You want that to be satiated. And um, so I fasted. We asked the congregation to fast, even though in retrospect, I think that a good number of those who actually did fast, when the answer came, they didn't really like it, so they probably were questioning why they fasted to begin with, but that's between them and God. But in essence, what God wanted was for us to embrace the calling of reaching the world in a new way, uh, establishing... Um, churches who would function in, in a greater fullness than what they had known, teaching people to pray and seek God, to understand things through the Scripture uh, regarding the Spirit and, and how God wanted to move. Um, and um, these, were, these were steps of grace that He wanted from us. Uh, we didn't understand that at the time. These were what God wanted. And, and to facilitate and empower that, God gave us, I mean, He just gave it, this capacity of diversities of tongues. He activated it. No one taught us about it. No one laid hands on us in a line and said, okay, you've been speaking in, in a personal language to God. Now God is going to give you through His Spirit the grace gift of diversities of tongues. And as you pray in these multiple languages, the tongues of heaven and earth, um, and you're not just stuck with that, I shouldn't re I rephrase that, you're not limited to that one language. You're now going to be before the courts of heaven and you're going to be speaking in lots of different languages, but it's going to be uh, for something in grace that I'm wanting to do that's going to change the world. It's not because of us, it's because of Him. God always looks for an intercessor. So diversities of tongues leads people into a partnership with God to take uh, the church and to take the spiritual reality into a new framework of grace. We didn't understand that at the time. We just knew that all of a sudden that one language, that one spiritual language or that one spiritual capacity we had become comfortable with as Pentecostal people was now suddenly 
the, the doors were blown open and suddenly it was like a torrent of languages, various capacities that were coming forth. And it was in accordance with a grace gift of God on behalf of something in grace that he was wanting to birth that had not been known before. It was a very interesting time. I remember in those early days, I would try to explain to people the difference between speaking in unknown tongues, which I had done at that time for 26 years. Um, the difference between that and diversities of tongues. And I equated it to driving a Model T as opposed to a modern Corvette, or flying in a biplane, or flying in the, 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 the top flight jet that our Air Force has. It felt that way within me, the difference, the empowerment, the capacity. You, it, when you're moving in diversities of tongues before the throne of God, it's, it's as if you are now, you are now, as it were, in intercession, functioning in ways that were far beyond anything that you'd known before. Because you are serving God in, in conjunction with a grace capacity that you had never known before. You think about it. What we said about unknown tongues and how the Spirit within us prays and how we are continually to be built up and according to an architectural plan. And unknown tongues in themselves should be causing you in conjunction with God to communicate about ways you are supposed to be growing, revealing ways that you were created to serve that perhaps you had not served in to that point. If we say that, and I believe we're being scripturally accurate, then this whole concept of grace gifts, it's the same, but on another level. Suddenly now, we're praying in diversities of tongues on behalf of the throne of God, and we're wanting the development of what God has intended that has not yet been known throughout the world. What the throne of God is wanting in an exterior way, uh, in a way that is different than what has been. So, I... I've felt this, that unknown tongues really dealt with us as an individual. But diversities of tongues uses the individual through the, the power of the Spirit to be beyond yourself, to, to be used by God in whatever He's created you to be to partner in things that are exterior to you. Now, yes, if you're speaking in unknown tongues and you're being a good person in God, you're going to impact people around you. And you could do exploits just in an individual way. That's wonderful. I'm not saying you can't do that. But when you start moving in diversities of tongues before the throne of God, anyone who's doing that will recognize that you are, you, you never know the way God's going to use you. You really don't. You never know from one day to the next what type of intercession or where you're going to be offering, what the framework is that you're gleaning. You, you, you know, it, it really is almost like, and I, I hesitate to use this term because people will just capture it and maybe misuse it from pride. 
it's almost like a special forces unit that comes out of the regular army or navy or, or whatever, whatever framework of the military you're in to do things at the behest of the administration that most of them are secret, most of them, they're in, they're out, you, you just never knew, they're efficient, they, they do that. And that's different than just the regular GI that is in the barracks and, and is being trained. Um, grace gifts do that, whether it's the grace gift of prophecy, whether it's the grace gift of understanding, whether it's a grace gift of being able to communicate in, in interpretation. Uh, can you function in all nine of these? Well, uh, if God directs, you, you don't go and say, God, you know, I'd really like to have this grace gift. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, if He's asking you, are you willing? Sometimes I know that I've seen a great number of these being I think they flow together in certain ways, but they're, to me, there's going to be one that God really entrusts to you. So how this should be functioning in every church if, if we believe the flow pattern of what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 12. It should be functioning in every church. Sadly, it has not over the centuries. Um, and there should be people that are growing in their spiritual gifts in every church. Sadly, it has not been over the centuries. There should be people that are, uh, as churches, functioning as the Spirit guides. It shouldn't be, well, you know, this church has been doing this for the last hundred years, and you can go there every Sunday, and it's going to seem the same every week. I like that reliability. I, that's the way my grandpappy was raised, that's the way, and bless God, that's the way I am. It, you've got your hands, you've got the death grip on the wheel, and you're liable to gash yourself right through the plate glass windows of the bank if you're not careful. That we should be functioning in the Spirit, and we, we should submit one to another. But as soon as you decide to settle, that's over and then you become an opponent to anything like that because it threatens what you think is just what you're comfortable with. And so God is always wanting us moving in grace. The last verse in the Bible says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. We should be moving in grace. We should continue to grow in grace. That's what the early church did. We should be moving from glory to glory. We should be doing that. And to me, these grace gifts of the Spirit facilitate that and should be functioning in that way. Diversities of tongues is one of them. So, what does genos mean? You know, we talk about that. Why is it genos lelia? Well, if you look at what genos means, it really does mean beginnings. We get a lot of our words from uh, from, from a framework of genos. Genetic is one of them. Generation is another one. Genesis is another one. It, it really does, though, mean the essential root and identity. It means the kinship with that. It, it does speak of an orderly development from generation to generation. And so, when we're speaking in genos lelia, we're speaking about things 
that God has ordained from the beginning of the world that according to His progression He wants to establish now in grace. And, and it really is to the heart of God. Unknown tongues from God speaks from the heart of who we are. Genos gifts speaks from the heart of who God is. That is a big difference. <laughs> and really, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm not saying we really, I don't say we really understand and comprehend all of it, but biblically, that's what, what happens. So, um, I remember when we first started speaking in diversities of tongues, and it really just happened under the direction of the Lord. We were willing, we, we were hungry, we fasted, we yielded ourselves, and then <clears throat> that set the, set the stage for God to just give this. It was activated, and honestly, as I've testified in the past, I didn't really, I knew something new was happening. I didn't really realize that I was speaking in these many, many languages. Um, but when it started happening and we started giving ourselves to the utilization of the Spirit in this way, suddenly things begin to open in our seer's capacities, in the way God used people, in our understandings of Scripture. Um, it, it just opened us to a new world through service to God in grace. And, and I would simply say to uh, any person who is watching this, if you have not spoken in tongues, you need to recognize that it is a gift from God and it's for you. And you need, to, you need to just speak. Ask God to give this to you. Tell Him you receive it. And you just begin to speak. It may seem awkward to you at the very beginning, but it shouldn't be because the Spirit within, if you're born again through Jesus Christ, you were made to function in this way. So just begin to do it. Don't expect God to come and make you do it. You do it. And so that is, that is what I would suggest. But if you are in the church, if you have spoken in tongues and you continue to speak in tongues, go before the Lord and say, I am willing to partner with you on behalf of grace. I want to welcome whatever it is. I want to yield myself as an intercessor to pray for things that you're wanting to do, that you need, you, you're searching for a human to give themselves an intercessor before your throne to, to facilitate that, to welcome that. I want this grace gift of diversities of tongues. I will submit myself to that kind of partnership. I will be faithful to pray every day. I will yield myself to the throne of grace for this grace gift of the Spirit to flow through me. I want to serve you in this way. And then just begin to speak. It's just that simple. And you, you, you have to train yourself to this regimen. Because if you're not careful, the natural mind will take over 
and you will flow back into old patterns. And so you, 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 you have to, and that's, that's a challenge with every human being. We, we're, we love to settle. And we, we get to where we're comfortable and then we just do the same things over and over again. Unless you say, I'm, I'm going to be creative. I'm going to try, try a new thing. I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to be better than I was. And, and so we go about the steps of making that happen. And if we're not careful in the spirit, if we're not careful in the church, we'll settle. And then and we think we're doing God a favor, but we should always be growing in grace. And so um, make certain... I, I remember I, I used to, I don't know how much humor it was, but I would say that when I was growing up in church, in Pentecostal church, I knew what language just about every person in that place was going to speak in tongues. I knew it. I, I could just, if, if I just was put in a booth and I heard a voice singing, I could tell, speaking, I could tell who that person was. I knew that language. I registered that language. And truthfully, the same thing with me. I knew what my language sounded like. And, you, and for many people, it was like a broken record. They only spoke a couple of phrases. And I said, how unwholesome that is. If you had a child that only spoke a couple of phrases throughout their whole life, you'd say, that boy ain't right. And we've got to get them some help. I mean, why would God give you this powerful capacity and the only thing you said was like a parrot that learned a couple of phrases? I mean, that makes no sense at all. And, but if we're not careful, even though we have begun to speak in diversities of tongues, we can settle in with four or five that are really comfortable to us. And, and as a pastor, I'm not going to go around the room, <laughs> I know, hey, I've heard that one before a hundred times, and I, I love this person, but I recognize that they're just kind of, they've, instead of having just side A of that 45, they've got four 45s, and I know all eight sides. And we, we have to keep pressing to let God use us in this unlimited dimension, because languages in the Lord are, are so amazing. They convey concepts, they convey the, the depictions of beauty, they open certain things like keys, they, they communicate with various places and angelic groupings, and, and you know, I mean, when, I, when we started to travel internationally, and especially when I was responsible for a group, I didn't want to get there and recognize that I was not equipped to function in that land uh, with what we might need. So I packed a number of things that I thought, well, maybe we'll need this. We won't be able to get it there. Maybe we'll need this. And I, what kind of currencies do we need? What kind of credit cards do we need? What phone numbers do we need? What, if this happens, what do we need to do? If somebody has an issue physically, 
Who would we contact? I tried to learn all of those things. When you are an intercessor and you're drawn into many different places, your languages is what God uses. Now, you're the base. I mean, you can feel your breastplate functioning in the Lord. You can feel um, different capacities God has given you. You can sense how the Spirit is using what He created you to be. But in those places, you're going to be drawn to to communicate in, and to declare in a number of different languages, and they change. So maybe the problem is, is that you're not submitting yourself to enough of those encounters. Uh, maybe that's why you have grown into a measure of rote participation. So I guess what I'm saying as we conclude this is that um, speaking in diversities of tongues is a gift of the Spirit, a grace gift, and it should be a part of every church. And, and it's, it's for the purpose of seeking God uh, to serve Him for whatever His throne of grace is wanting to do. But that's what diversities of tongues are. They are different, but the same Spirit. They're different from unknown tongues. Unknown tongues really are powerful in God, but they serve to align you and what God created you to be with, uh, with what he, what he, how He wants to know you, how He wants to train, how He wants to develop you. Diversity of tongues builds upon that, upon that, for you to be functioning in grace on behalf of the throne. I, I don't want to settle for anything less than what God wants, and I know you don't either. So as we conclude this session, go before the Lord and search yourself and ask the Spirit to search you and submit yourself to God and say, Father, I truly want to be moving in that Spirit that you made alive through Christ. And I want to be everything you created me to be, but I also want to serve you uh, in, um, in the spirit realm and uh, as an intercessor, welcoming grace. And to do that in its, in its most biblically enhanced capacity, you need to be welcoming this grace gift of diversities of tongues. Well, we've covered a lot of territory today. Uh, our next session uh, should be a roundtable discussion where some intercessors are actually talking about how these gifts flow in them. But between now and then, seek the Lord and uh, welcome this gift and let God use you in this capacity. May God bless you. And thank you for watching today.